Let us bow our heads in prayer. Our most gracious God, Father in heaven, we praise you and we worship you for you are a good God. You are the creator of this universe. You are the sustainer of this universe. You sent your son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins that we might be redeemed, that we might be reconciled to you. Though we were dead in our sins, you loved us, sent your son to die for us. We thank you that this evening we can come together once again to worship you as your church gathered here. We are grateful, Lord, for the word that was proclaimed this morning and for how you have drawn each one of us back again this evening for this important purpose to worship you. Thank you for the blessing that is found as we come together to look upon your face as we come to worship you and rest from all our work and all our worldly engagement. Set apart this day to worship you. Thank you that we are blessed, we are refreshed and rejuvenated as we remember our eternal rest in Jesus Christ. We thank you for this church and its ministry. Pray particularly for the Pritchards as they plan to move away. We thank you for their ministry in our midst and the blessing that they have been. Thank you for the reminder through them of how you have given men to the church for its building up. We can see the reality of our brother's ministry in our midst. Thank you for the blessing that they have been as a family to us. We pray that you would undertake for them as they make this transition and even uh, with the birth of the baby boy, that you would undertake that everything would go smoothly. We think of others in our midst who are unwell and unable to be with us this evening. We pray that you would be with them, touch them, their hurting and ailing bodies, that you would grant them healing and recovery. We pray for those who are downcast and discouraged this evening, who are unable to come because they um, have not found the opportunity or are unable. We pray that you would minister to them, that you would refresh them through your word, and that those who are not concerned for their soul, you would convict and bring them to your word, that you'd bring them back to your people, that they may once again worship with us. As we turn now to your word this evening, Lord, we earnestly desire for a special visitation from you. We pray that as we look at your word, as we study it and we think about the implications and applications, we ask that you would be in our midst. May Jesus Christ be lifted up and may he be magnified. May we all leave this place encouraged and challenged to commit ourselves wholly to you, that we would not continue to wrestle and labor in this world, but might rather find our hope and trust in you. We pray that you would strengthen the believer through the preaching of your word. We pray that you would be with me as I speak, that I would not err from the truth, and that as my words go out, they would not be my own, but yours, that you would use the words of my mouth to encourage and strengthen rebuke, build up your church here at Grace Baptist Church. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.
This evening we'll be looking at Exodus chapter 31. Exodus chapter 31. And I'll be um, reading from verse 12 to verse 18. We um, come in the book of Exodus to this portion. I know we've been out of order and uh, uh, I'm mainly to blame for that. But in the Lord's providence, we are going back to look at the instructions pertaining to the Sabbath that we find in these verses. And last week, um, Seth came and preached on the golden calf, and he gave us a good recap, so I won't do much of that this evening. Uh, but just to kind of orient us once again of where this section fits in the greater book of Exodus. We see that we're coming to the end of the instructions pertaining to worship, and particularly in our verses, we are dealing with Sabbath uh, after the instructions of building the tabernacle uh, that Dirk covered when he preached a few weeks ago. So as we come to the end, we want to remember that context, but we also want to remember that after this, uh, Moses comes down from Sinai and he encounters um, what happens with the golden calf there. So that just helps us to kind of get oriented. And now I'll begin reading from Exodus chapter 31, verses 12 to 18. Hear the word of the Lord. And the Lord said to Moses, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. You shall keep the Sabbath, because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Six days shall work be done, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of solemn rest, holy to the Lord. Whoever does any work on the Sabbath day shall be put to death. Therefore, the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and you, between me and the people of Israel, that in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And he gave to Moses, when he had finished speaking with him on Mount Sinai, the two tablets of the testimony, tablets of stone written with the finger of God. Here ends the reading of God's holy word. We see that the doctrine of the Sabbath or the ordination of the Sabbath that is instituted is one that is found across the pages of Scripture, right from Genesis at creation all the way to Revelation, new creation. And even as we've already seen in the book of Exodus, we've come across the major themes that continue across the pages of Scripture. So too, we deal with the Sabbath here this evening. The Sabbath that is dealt with, uh, the instructions pertaining to the Sabbath that we find in these verses are not appearing for the first time in the book of Exodus. As we know, in the Ten Commandments in chapter 20, we get the formal institution of the Sabbath. And um, they are told, the Israelites are told to keep the Sabbath holy. And out of that, we, are, we find the expansion in these verses here. But interestingly enough, even uh, in chapter 16, when we have the manna that is provided, the instructions that we find there, uh, we see in Exodus chapter 16, verse 23, they are told not to gather on the Sabbath day. 
So though the formal institution was going to take place in chapter 20, uh, when the Sabbath is included in the Ten Commandments, and uh, the Israelites are told to keep the Sabbath holy by resting on this day, we see that it was already uh, a practice uh, that was there and, and already spoken about in Exodus chapter 16. And obviously we go back to Genesis chapter 2, where God, after creating on the seventh day, we are told uh, in Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, that God rested on the seventh day. Genesis chapter 2, uh, reading from verse 1, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day, God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all his work that he had done in creation. And so we see a reference being made back to Genesis chapter 2, verse 2, even in the verses we are considering. Uh, but something else for us to consider which is interesting is that uh, in Exodus 20, when we have the giving of the Ten Commandments and reference is made to the Sabbath, there is no stipulation there under that commandment of what would happen to those who break the commandment in chapter 20. Uh, there we read in Exodus chapter 20, uh, verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work. But the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord, your God. On it you shall not do any work. You or your son or your daughter, your male servant or your female servant, or your livestock, or the sojourner who is within your gates. And then it says, For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested on the seventh day. Again, pointing back to creation. Another significant point is when the, uh, when the Ten Commandments are given once again in Deuteronomy, uh, we notice something different and something quite significant. Is that whereas in Exodus chapter 20, the basis for the uh, keeping of the Sabbath points back to creation. What we find in Deuteronomy is that it points to redemption. We find that the basis given there is that they must observe uh, the Sabbath day, uh, but, but they are reminded in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 15, you shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt and that the Lord your God brought you out from there with a mighty hand and an outstretched arm. Therefore, the Lord your God commanded you to keep the Sabbath day. And so the reason I give us that uh, orientation, or a little bit of background, is for us to see that the Sabbath both points back to creation, but also to redemption. And uh, we've already seen in Exodus so far that the redemption uh, that, that Israel experienced in the Exodus pointed forward to the redemption, the greater redemption that was there in Jesus Christ. And so as we consider uh, these instructions that we find, we're going to notice how, what the significance of creation and redemption is pertaining to the Sabbath. And so what I want us to do this evening is for us to focus on, on a few questions that will help us in our understanding. I want us to see what is the Sabbath, just looking at the text and looking at the instructions that we find in our passage. How is it observed? Uh, as we've seen already, we are told that those who break the Sabbath are to be put to death, are to be cut off from the people. And then lastly, we will look at its significance. What is its significance? And uh, we'll spend some time there because we want to 
We want to understand and see how this applies to us today. Even as we keep the Lord's day, as we rest from our work, what is the greater significance? But also looking at our context back in chapter 31, um, it's interesting to note that what we find that these instructions follow after the instructions pertaining to the tabernacle. After they've been told what they need to do, and Dirk preached a really edifying sermon on that, showing us what all the different parts were and what they pointed to. Uh, we see that in our verses coming to Exodus 31, verse 13, uh, the Lord says, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. Above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths. And so the context helps us to see that why these instructions follow here is that even the important task of building the tabernacle should not be done on the Sabbath. And, and there's a temptation to, to try and get the work done quicker. They, must, uh, they may want to work on the Sabbath because it's considered a holy thing, right? To build the tabernacle, to have a place where they can worship God, and yet uh, they are reminded at this point that above all, they must still keep the Sabbath. Even when it comes to building the tabernacle, they must not forget uh, this particular instruction. And we see this will come up again in Exodus 35 when the building actually commences Again, we find the instructions pertaining to the Sabbath. And so an important principle here that we ourselves can take away from is that we, we can do the right things at the wrong time, and it's forbidden. Uh, we can do the right things at the wrong time, and it should be forbidden to us. We see that God has a particular way in which he wants to be worshipped. God, God dictates the way in which he is to be worshipped, and we refer to this as the regulative principle for worship. And so we cannot worship God in the way we would like or the way our own imagination would dictate, but rather we are to be governed by scripture. And so this passage uh, reminds us of that as we think about the Sabbath. So then, let us make our way to the first point and consider what is the Sabbath? What is the Sabbath? And our passage gives us a number of things. It tells us a number of things about the Sabbath. It firstly says that it is a sign versus 13 and 17, going back to verse 13, you are to speak to the people of Israel and say, above all, you shall keep my Sabbaths, for this is a sign between me and you throughout your generations, that you may know that I, the Lord, sanctify you. And so we know that when scripture talks about a sign, it is a, a physical reality, or in this case, the keeping of a Sabbath that points to a greater reality. And so even as they keep the Sabbath, they are to remember that it is a sign. It is a sign that, as verse 13 tells us, it is the Lord who sanctifies them. It is the Lord who has called them out to be a people for himself. And so just as they are a people who are sanctified, a people who are set apart for Yahweh, they are to observe the Sabbath in remembrance of uh, his creation, but also the work he did in freeing them from Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage. But it also tells us that this is a sign of the covenant. Um, as we see uh, going down, verse 17, it is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days uh, the Lord made heaven and earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. So we've seen how this sign points back to creation. And it's interesting that God is spoken as having rested and being refreshed. 
Now we know that this is anthropomorphic language. It is a way of speaking of God in a human sense to aid our understanding. We know that God is all powerful. We know that God does not slumber or sleep. And so he does not need rest. And yet God is spoken as having ceased. Uh, when we look at uh, Genesis chapter 2, the word rest can also mean he ceased from work. So as we saw at the passage that we read earlier on, God rested. God ceased from the work of creation on the seventh day. And if we look back at Genesis chapter 2, it is interesting to note that the, all the other six days end with there was morning and there was evening, but not so with the Sabbath day. Uh, and, and this is significant for us as we study the Sabbath because there is an eternal rest that is promised to us. There isn't an end to the Sabbath day. And that's very important for us to remember. So the Israelites here we see are being told that this uh, Sabbath observance, that they are to cease from work, is a sign that would remind them that God sanctifies them, that he rescued them from Israel, from, from Egypt, as we have seen from the other passages. Uh, but it's also a sign of the covenant that God has made with Israel. God has entered into this covenant as he rescued them, and then he meets with them at Sinai. You know, we see in Exodus 19 and 20 that God enters into this covenant, and they are given this law. They are told that if they are to keep the law, then God uh, will bless them and they will be his chosen possession. They will inherit the land. But as we will see later on, they did not. They, uh, in fact, we've already seen in the following verses, they failed to keep uh, God's law and they, they broke it and they were later on taken away into exile. So we'll come back to that in just a moment. So we see it's a sign We've already looked at the redemption that it speaks of in Deuteronomy chapter 5. But we also saw that it's a creation ordinance that right from the beginning, the way God created uh, is that with the Sabbath day. And so God created man with the intention to dwell with him forever. God created man that he would have fellowship with him. And one of the things we see right after the fall is that the words that are spoken to Adam uh, sees a change that takes place. We go from the words in Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, where he is told to be fruitful and multiply, to the curses that follow in Genesis chapter 3, that he will labor, there will be toil and hardship to uh, toil the land. And so he went from uh, an earth that was fruitful and that would yield much uh, crop from his labors to uh, chapter 3, where there was going to be hardships and toil. And so that's what the four did. It took us from that state where we were to dwell with God, resting in God, in fellowship with God, to now laboring and toiling. And that's the state in which fallen man finds himself. So creation takes us back to creation. It's a sign that points us back uh, to creation. But we also see um, that the Sabbath is spoken as being holy. You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you, verse 14. Uh, another thing that is very interesting that we see from Genesis chapter uh, 1 and 2 is that the Sabbath is the first of creation that is spoken of as being holy. See that God sets it apart. It's the first thing in creation that is spoken of as being holy, that is set apart for a particular purpose. And this is what we see uh, in Genesis 2 and verse 3 and it's interesting that when we compare this with Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, 
uh, where we find uh, the dominion mandate, be fruitful and multiply. Uh, there is God blessed them and he spoke those words to them. And there we see the, that the blessing that God speaks to them is that they would multiply and be fruitful. The fruitfulness, the blessing of fruitfulness is pronounced to them. Similarly, in the Sabbath being uh, blessed and being made holy, we see that there is a promise for God's people in that, in keeping the Sabbath, in resting in God, it provides spiritual nourishment and refreshment. And so contrary to what the world tells us, the world tells us that we can get ahead by working seven days a week, by not keeping the Sabbath, by not setting it apart for God's worship, the world tells us that this is how we get ahead. But that is contrary. It's contrary to nature. It's contrary to what we see in Scripture. Because when we don't rest, we actually find ourselves worse off. And that's a practical application of it. But there is spiritual blessing promised to us as we rest in God, as we rest from our labors, and we, we, we dwell upon our God and our Savior. But, but thirdly, we see that it's a solemn rest. It is a solemn rest. And we've already looked at how God is spoken of as having ceased from his work, as having rested and found refreshment. And we've already seen that it's not that God needed to, to rest, to be refreshed, because he was not tired. But in the creation ordinance, we see uh, a principle, a practice for us to imitate God ourselves. Because as we've already seen, there is a blessing associated with that rest. As we, as we cease from our labors and we come to worship God, many of us can testify to the refreshment that we find by meeting together as saints, by having the word preached, and, and spending time of physical rest, but also time meditating on God's word and spending time fellowshipping with his people. So that is what we find here in our, in our passage, dealing with the meaning of the Sabbath. What does it mean? Uh, we've seen that it is a sign. We see it's a creation ordinance and that we set it apart uh, to be holy for us. But secondly, we want to see how is it observed and uh, briefly on this point, because it's quite explicit in the text, but we do want to appreciate it better. We want to see how is the Sabbath observed. Looking at verse 14, uh, we read, You shall keep the Sabbath because it is holy for you. Everyone who profanes it shall be put to death. Whoever does any work on it, that soul shall be cut off from among his people. Uh, it is interesting to note here that the Sabbath has been set apart. It is called holy because there is, uh, it, it's one that God has set aside for us to rest and, and, and rest in him in that sense. But to do that, with, to take that which is common and set it apart for God is called making something holy, to sanctify it. And similarly, to take that which is holy and use it for what is common is called to profane it to be called to profane it. And so these two are opposites. And we see here in the description of how the Sabbath is to be kept holy is by uh, setting it apart for rest and not to do the work that is prohibited. Taking God's day, the one that he has set apart, and doing work on it, uh, which is not commanded for us, is profaning the Sabbath day. We're taking that which is holy and using it for common work, ordinary work that we would like to do. As we have already noticed, 
Uh, as I mentioned earlier, comparing this to the Ten Commandments, we don't have in the Ten Commandments uh, the death penalty or the penalties associated with breaking the Sabbath. But we find in our verses the penalty stipulated. And we have the death penalty that is stated for those who would break the Sabbath. If anyone does work on the Sabbath, they are to be put to death. They are to be cut off from among the people, cast away outside of uh, the people of God. And this is significant because, again, it takes us back to the garden where man, Adam and Eve, failed to keep God's law and they were cut off. They were sent out of the garden away from God. And so, too, uh, Israel is given this commandment here that if they are to enter God's rest, if they are to have communion with God, that they must keep his law. But as we know and as we see, they fail to enter God's rest and they continue uh, to wander in the wilderness and many fall uh, and, and die and do not enter the promised rest that was put before them, which, rem which, which helps us to see that the law that was given to them was never intended to, this, to save them because the law in and of itself cannot save anyone. The problem that mankind has is far greater than that. So the, the promise was held before them and yet they failed to attain promised rest because they needed someone greater than themselves. And so as we survey the history of Israel, we see that one of the one of the charges that the prophets bring up over and over again against Israel is that they failed to keep God's Sabbath. That is one of the indicators um, that the prophets bring up against the Israelites. They went after other gods, they worshipped other gods, but they profaned the Sabbaths. And so when the prophets come, uh, they are, um, for example, in Ezekiel chapter 23, verse 38, we find uh, as... as Ezekiel summarizes the faults of Israel and Judah. He talks about how they have profaned the Sabbath and therefore the judgment awaits them. They will be taken away into exile. They will be judged for their unfaithfulness and for breaking the law. So they, again, we see they stand under this judgment. They stand under the curse because they have not kept God's law. So as we've seen, similar to the garden, they stand under the curse awaiting death awaiting a savior because as the prophets talk about the coming judgment they also talk about a time when uh, the messiah would come and he would reunite god's people he would enable them to, to worship a right once again but we also read in psalm 95 verses 10 to 11 for 40 years i loathed that generation and said they are a people who go astray in their heart and they have not known my ways Therefore, I swore in my wrath, they shall, they shall not enter my rest. And so we see God there speaking about Israel's history and how they failed to enter his rest because they profaned the Sabbath. They did not keep his word and they went after the idols. And we also see later on that even after returning from exile and Nehemiah puts in all these uh, laws to ensure that the Sabbath is kept holy, even then, they were unable to do that which God had commanded. It gives them, it shows them, it helps them to see the need for a savior. And so as the, as the history of Israel develops and until the coming of Jesus Christ, we see that a, a tradition, a teaching uh, 
uh, had, ev had e emerged uh, that taught people that if they were able to keep the Sabbath perfectly, then the Messiah would come. And so what the, what the Jews started doing was adding to the laws that God had given. And we see Jesus combating some of this when he uh, begins to minister because there are so many laws of what can and cannot be done on the Sabbath. And yet when Jesus comes, he combats these false teachings, uh, this legalism that had crept in uh, to God's people, and they had thought that they could earn their salvation simply by keeping the Sabbath perfectly. But Jesus corrects that, and we'll, we'll look at that a little bit more under the third heading. But it's easy for us to look at the Pharisees and criticize them and think that they got it, they got it all wrong. But we ourselves ought to think about how we treat the Lord's day. It's easy for us to begin to think that the Lord's days about uh, crossing the T's and dotting the I's, about thinking about what we should not do and what we should do on the Lord's day and forget the blessing that is associated with the Lord's day, the blessing that comes and what, uh, what, what has been purchased for us in Jesus Christ, in his death and resurrection. So it's easy for us to lose sight of the greater significance and think that if we keep the Lord's day perfectly, then we are better accepted before God. But that is simply not true. And so as we think about um, even our own preparation and what is involved in observing the Sabbath, uh, our confession, the London Baptist Confession of Faith in chapter 22, in paragraph 8, has this uh, paragraph that is helpful. It says that the Sabbath then is kept holy unto the Lord when men, after a due preparing of their hearts and ordering their common affairs af aforehand, do not only observe a holy rest all day from their own works, words, and thoughts about their worldly employment and recreations, but are also taken up the whole time in public and private exercises of his worship and in the duties of necessity and mercy. And so when we think about how the Sabbath or the Lord's Day is to be observed, uh, this statement, this paragraph helps us to think of how we can be preparing beforehand, before we come uh, to worship, how we can order our lives in such a way that we would get the most benefit, the most blessing from coming together as God's people. But as I've already said, if we were to just stop at that, if we were to just stop at thinking about how the Sabbath can be observed, then we would be missing the greater significance. And so now we move to our third point where I want to spend a little bit more time considering what is the significance. What is the significance of the Sabbath? And so as we have already mentioned, as I have already mentioned, uh, by the time Jesus' ministry began and by the time Jesus came into this world, there was great misunderstanding surrounding the Sabbath. And as Jesus continues to minister, he interacts with the Jews and he corrects their misunderstandings. We see that uh, when, when the disciples are walking and they decide to pick a grain, uh, grain from the fields, they are criticized for not keeping the Sabbath. We see that when Jesus heals those uh, who are unwell, he is criticized for breaking the Sabbath. And all the, on all these occasions, Jesus actually gives an exposition of the Sabbath. He interprets for us what the meaning of the Sabbath is, and he shows us how wrong they had gotten uh, the Sabbath. And so I think here we find an important principle of how Scripture interprets Scripture, and how uh, sometimes if you're reading the New Testament or the Old Testament, 
uh, you can look at the other uh, for interpretation before you consult other commentaries. Uh, it's such a helpful way in which we can understand the scriptures better and also see the unified message of the scriptures. So that was an aside by way of uh, application or just for us to think about that as we study the scriptures for ourselves. But as we look at Jesus, we turn to Mark chapter 2 and verses 27 to 28, we see um, the account that I was describing earlier about Jesus interacting with the, uh, with the Pharisees. And so in Mark chapter 2, verses 23 to the end of the chapter, we see this discussion that takes place, that when uh, the disciples pick the grain, field, uh, grain from the fields, they, they are being criticized as breaking the Sabbath. And then Jesus says the following words uh, to the Pharisees. Verse 27, and he said to them, the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so that is Jesus' response to the, 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 the case that they are bringing up against him. They are so focused on what you can and you cannot do. And after uh, showing them how David uh, was hungry and he took off the showbread, he then points them to see that the Sabbath, in fact, was made for man. And that gives us a helpful interpretation of what we are looking at in Exodus chapter 31. Uh, Sabbath was created, the Sabbath was instituted by God, as we've seen at creation, that man might dwell with him forever, that man might be refreshed and might, um, might dwell with him and have communion and fellowship with him. But Jesus also says in verse 28 that the Son of Man, that he himself is Lord even of the Sabbath. And so as we know, uh, Jesus is there right at creation as our triune God creates this world. We know that all things are created uh, and everything that exists was created through Jesus Christ himself. And so we, we see here that Jesus is Lord of the Sabbath. But we also see in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, that Jesus promises rest to all those that come to him. And this is significant for us. Matthew 11 and verse 28. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my, take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we as we look at these passages and we continue to look at a number of New Testament scriptures, we see the meaning of, this, of the Sabbath rest that is promised. We see here that as Jesus is calling people to believe in him, to come to him, all those who, who labor and are heavily laden, all those who are seeking to save themselves by their own works, all those who are looking to other means for their salvation, to them Jesus promises this rest. He says, come to me, and I will give you rest. The same rest that was promised, the same rest that we saw in creation uh, is there for eternity. The same rest that is promised in Exodus. We see Jesus fulfilling, Jesus making that offer of rest to those who believe in him. And so we see 
that the Sabbath ordinance that we find in Exodus chapter 31, and as we see in the Ten Commandments being instituted, that the Sabbath actually typifies, looks forward to Jesus Christ. Because the rest that was promised to the Israelites was never entered by them, by their works. But only by trusting in Jesus Christ. He is the one who promises true rest. And so if you are to rest from your labors, if you are truly to find rest, it is by putting your faith in Jesus Christ. Therein lies our rest. And we see the already not yet reality. The already not, reali not yet reality of the rest that is promised to us. Because we know that even as Christians who have put their faith in Jesus Christ, we still continue to struggle with this. That we have not entered our eternal rest, which we'll look at in just a moment in Hebrews chapter 4. Our eternal rest that is promised to us when we'll finally dwell with God forever and we'll cease from all our labors. We'll cease from the effects of the fall and the effects of living in a fallen and broken world. So Jesus Christ himself is that Sabbath rest. And that as we believe in him, as we trust in him, we truly find that rest. And not only as we come to faith in Jesus Christ, but we see this principle that what makes the difference is our belief or unbelief. And so if we are truly to rest on the Lord's day, it is not about what we do and what we don't do. While that is important, as we've already seen from our confession of faith, we need to be wise in how we order our days. But what is more important is how we believe in Jesus Christ, how we place our trust in him. That is where we'll find our rest. And so as the hymn writer reminds us, come every soul by sin oppressed, there's mercy with the Lord, and he will surely give you rest by trusting in his word. Only trust him. Only trust him. Only trust him now. This is the promise. And as we look at Jesus Christ there on the cross as he's about to give up his life, John chapter 12, verse 30, we read the words, it is finished. It is finished. The work is done. He has paid it all at the cross. We no longer need to strive. We no longer need to labor for our own salvation because there was never a way for us to save ourselves. But we also see an interesting thing in the New Testament church that we go from celebrating the Sabbath as the last day of the week to the first day of the week following the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We see that as Christ is resurrected, the believers begin to meet on the first day. And so as we've talked about the Sabbath pointing to creation and redemption, we see that we now celebrate the redemption that has been purchased for us. We are no longer looking forward to the Messiah who is coming, but we look back to the finished work at the cross. We can rejoice that we have been freed from this labor, from this striving that many people who have not trusted in Jesus continue to do. And as Augustine reminds us that our hearts are restless until they find our, their rest in God. So we are without Jesus Christ. We continue to look to the world for satisfaction. We look to the world to find meaning and rest and 
peace, but none of that can be found in the world, but it can be found in Christ alone. Because as he said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So we turn to Hebrews and we'll close off by looking at this passage. Hebrews and chapter 4. But we'll also look at some verses from chapter 3. It's such a significant passage for our, our topic at hand, for our passage at hand. Because it deals with the verses that we have already looked at. And then points us to our eternal rest that is promised, that is ours in Jesus Christ. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 7, we see, as the Holy Spirit says, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as you did in the rebellion on the day of testing in the wilderness, where your fathers put me to the test and saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was provoked with that generation and said, they always go astray in their heart. They have not known my ways. As I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. And then he goes on to talk about the promise that was made and that though the Israelites entered the promised land, they did not enter the rest. Because as he goes on in chapter 4, uh, verse 5, he shows that if they had entered God's rest, then he would not have said that they shall not enter my rest. And then he goes on, chapter 4, verse 6, Since therefore it remains for some to enter it, this is the rest, and those who formerly received the good news failed to enter because of disobedience. Again he appoints a certain day, today, saying through David so long afterward in the words already quoted, Today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And then we go on. Verse 9, so then there remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for whoever has entered God's rest has also rested from his works as God did. Let us therefore strive to enter that rest, so that no one may fall by the same sort of disobedience. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and of discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. So we see in this passage, and, and I would really encourage you to go back and read chapter 3 and chapter 4 uh, when you have a little bit of time, because we see that this passage of Scripture really helps us to better understand the Sabbath, that what is presented to us, what is offered to us is salvation in Jesus Christ. And so the writer to the Hebrews calls um, his readers place their trust in Jesus Christ while there is still time to enter this rest. But he also looks towards the eternal rest that is ours as we, as we go and we dwell with God forever. So we see here that the rest that was, that was promised to the Israelites that they failed to enter is finally entered in through faith in Jesus Christ. And as we come together to worship the Lord each Lord's day, we should rejoice at, the, at God's work of creation. We should look back to how he created this world with, with this picture in mind that we would dwell with him and we would worship him for, forever. But we should also rejoice that we have been rescued from our labors, that we, can, we have been brought to rest in Jesus Christ. But we must also look forward expectantly as we will dwell with God forever and we will rest with him forever. So let us not get caught up in the do's and don'ts. Let us not become legalistic 
in how we observe the Sabbath, but let us receive the blessing that is promised to us as we rest from our work, as we rejoice in this great redemption that has been purchased for us with the very blood of Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Our God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for your word, for the clarity with which it comes to us, for the unity of your message. We thank you that as we reflect upon this great work of salvation, of how you have rescued us from our labors, you have rescued us from the pangs of death and brought us into eternal life through Jesus Christ. We worship you for what a great God you are. We worship you for your grace and your mercy unto sinners such as us. We pray, Lord, that as we meet each Lord's Day, may we look to you once again, may we rest in you, and may we grow in faith as we trust in you. We pray and ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.